All right, good afternoon. I'm Joe Collins. Welcome to Shoreline Church. Our mission is to love and to live like Jesus. It is great to be together with you tonight. So uh, last time I was here, we got back into our series entitled Jesus uh, Worth Following. And of course, I'm going to keep going in this series because we've got a few more chapters left in the book and we want to make sure we get through the whole series. Also, because I really believe in the idea of teaching God's word. I really think it's important and and, uh, powerful for us to stay into God's word, to learn from God's word and to let God's word minister to us. And and really, the best way to do that is to invest into God's word. And so taking time to go through a book and, and really section by section is just a great way to invest in God's God's word and grow from that uh, investment. So last time I was here, we talked about uh, that following Jesus isn't always what it seems. Well, uh, today I want to talk about faith. So uh, one day when John the Baptist was a little boy, he was outside playing with the family cat. And uh, his mom was at the inside doing dishes and she was looking through the window and she was watching him and he had the cat up on a tree stump and he was standing in front of the cat and he was preaching away to the cat. And John's mom was so warmed in her heart to see her little son be so spiritual and, and so godly. And so she went about her business in the house doing dishes and then after a little while she started hearing just the worst screaming in the world coming from the cat and hissing and and clawing and scratching and she ran back to the window to look out and see what was going on and and there she saw little Johnny with the cat and he had the cat over a bucket and the cat was holding on to the bucket for dear lives and he was trying to dunk the cat into a bucket of water and she cried out John John what are you doing and he goes I'm trying to baptize the cat And she said, don't do that. You know, cats are afraid of water. And he said, well, he should have thought about that before he decided to join my church. (laughs) Sometimes we may say the right things, but we're not always willing to do the right things. The cat may have agreed to join John's church, but when it came down to it, the cat wasn't willing to join John's church. Let's pray before we read. Father, thank you for bringing us here tonight. Thank you for this great fellowship. We pray for your spirit to be with us, to infill us and empower us. Help us to be uh, inspired and encouraged in our faith built up from your word. It's in in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to read in Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 46. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city... A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Trimius, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, uh, if you look on our screen, we have a map, and that is a simple map of the land of Palestine in Jesus' day. And you'll notice that it's kind of broken into two sections. Up in the north, there's Galilee, and down in the south, there's Judea, there's Samaria in the middle, and then on the on the eastern side of the, of the Jordan River are other areas. But this is the, the basic area of Jesus' entire life. This is where he lived his entire life. And for about two and a half years, Jesus zigzagged all over the northern part of Palestine, up there in Galilee, preaching repentance and practicing grace everywhere he went. And he became quite well known. And he was, he was the, you know, he was hot. Let's just put it that way. I mean, he was so hot back in the day. People were coming out to see him by the tens of thousands. And at the end of his public ministry, which only lasted about three years, 
he began making his way down to Jerusalem. So we're right now in the, in the account of Mark in about the last six months of Jesus's public ministry. He's making his way down to Jerusalem for Passover, which is going to come down the road. But along the way, he had to pass through the city called Jericho. Jericho is an interesting city. It's one of the oldest cities in the world. It was the first Canaanite city defeated by the Israelites some 3,500 years ago when, when, when Moses led the people out of Egypt. Then they eventually made their way into the land of Canaan. <clears throat> the city of Jericho was the first major battle they fought when they crossed into the land. When we look at all of the Gospels, we read all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we notice that they have discrepancies about this story. For instance, Mark tells us that it was when they were leaving the city, they met a blind man named Bartimaeus. But Matthew mentions two blind men, and Luke says they were on their way into Jericho. Now that may seem like a discrepancy at first. You may go, what is that? There's a contradiction here. Can I trust the Bible? Well, if you do a, just a little bit of searching, if you do just a little bit of digging, you'll find out that in the time of Jesus, there were actually two cities of Jericho. I don't know if this map is big enough for you to see. Didn't come out too good on this screen, but right around here and here, you see two different cities of Jericho. Well, one says Jerusalem, but there's two Jerichos. I don't think you can see that one. It's somewhere here. Anyways, they're right about on top of each other. And uh, the original city of Jericho in Jesus' day had been destroyed and was basically abandoned. Now, Mark, being a Jew, would have referenced the original city of Jericho. And so when he said they were leaving the city, he was probably referring to the, the ruins of the city of Jericho. Because to him, that would have been the city of Jericho. But Luke, on the other hand, being a, a Gentile and writing to Gentiles, would have spoken more about the contemporary Jericho, which was a thriving city in Jesus' day, and it was less than a mile or two away from each other. And so literally, when you, when you see in the scripture a discrepancy, if you dig a little further, oftentimes that discrepancy becomes proof of its accuracy, because there were literally two different cities of Jericho. And so both gospels were correct. One said he was leaving, the other says he was entering, because this probably occurred between the two cities. Now you say, well, what about the two people that were healed? Well, that can be summed up pretty easily. The fact that Mark mentions Bartimaeus' name, and we're going to find out in a minute that Bartimaeus actually joined Jesus on his journey into Jerusalem, probably indicates that Bartimaeus went with Jesus after his encounter, whereas the other blind man didn't. And so Bartimaeus' name was remembered, and the other man's wasn't. Here's the point. We're talking about faith. God's word can be trusted. And it's something that as Christians we have to hold on to in an age of skepticism, in, a, in an era when people doubt routinely and even intellectually, and they even make great sounding arguments, and they put up all these charts and graphs, and they make these, these fancy sounding uh, discussions to prove uh, their, their viewpoint, it becomes very hard to put our trust in the Bible because it's so, it seems so old and so, so uh, static. But the truth is that even a little bit of digging helps us always discover that the Bible can be always be trusted. And we can always take God at his word. Now that doesn't mean we're going to be literal on everything we read because not all of the Bible is literal. 
Some of it is poetry, some of it is uh, uh, prophetic type language, some of it is narrative, etc. But we can trust the basic elements that we find in the Bible to be sound. And at every time the Bible gets challenged throughout history, it always seems to be proven more accurate than, it, than people thought it was when they started challenging it. And here's just one of those cases. Verse 47. Sorry, verse yeah, 47. When they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and said to him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, in ancient times like today, when someone was in need, they were either homeless or they were beggars, they would often position themselves near major highways, major roadways. Because the goal was to get as much traffic going by you as possible so you could get as many handouts or alms, they called them alms in those days, as many gifts as they possibly could. Just like today when you get off the freeway at the end of an off-ramp, oftentimes there's someone there with a sign or something. And just like today in Jesus' day, it wasn't very common for these people to be too disruptive. And you can imagine why, because if they become disruptive, the chances of people giving them something is going to go down, just like today. Now Jesus comes across a group of people, they're begging along the side of the road, and one of them hears that it's Jesus, he's a blind man named Bartimaeus, and he begins screaming and shouting and making a major scene right there on the side of the road. I have a, a degree in, in psychology and my master's in counseling, and one of the things that we learned about in, in, in counseling was this concept called learned helplessness. If you're not familiar with what it is, I, I can explain it real briefly, but learned helplessness is the idea that uh, you just, after repeated failures, you just give up. It's implicated in things like depression, homelessness, a whole bunch of emotional and, and uh, physical uh, uh, negative outcomes are a result of learned helplessness. It was, it was first kind of discovered when they took a cat, this is gonna sound terrible, so don't, don't shoot me, I didn't do this, okay? This wasn't my idea, but someone did this. They took a cat and they put it in a cage, and the cage was made of metal and they electrified the cage. Now the cage wasn't like, it wasn't gonna kill the cat, but it was just enough to make it a little bit of shock and make the cat uncomfortable. And the cat would bounce around inside the cage because it was getting shocked every time it touched the metal, but because there was nowhere else for the cat to go, the cat eventually quit and just sat down and endured the shock. Now they took another cat and they put it in another cage and in that cage, they put a piece of wood. And so when the shock happened, the cat just jumped onto the wood and was fine. And every time the shock happened, the cat would jump onto the wood. Then they took the first cat and put it into the second cage and it didn't jump on the wood. It just took the shock. That's learned helplessness. Let me ask you a question. How do you respond when you experience repeated failures or disappointments in your life? When I say repeated, I mean again and again and again. It does happen. If you live for any length of time, there is that experience, that, 
that feeling of failure or of lack of success. And it does seem to haunt us from time to time. It just comes and it comes and it comes and it just seems to be there. And the big question of the day is how do you respond? Do you respond with learned helplessness? Do you become like the first cat that just gives up, loses hope, loses faith, and just sits down and endures the pain? Or do you continue to try to overcome and to try again and again and again to accomplish whatever it is that you're wanting to accomplish or overcome? When I read this story, what I see in the blind man Bartimaeus is that he rejected learned helplessness. He was blind, I don't know for how long, but it was pretty bad to the point where he had to beg on the side of the road. And I'm sure there was countless days where he was like, I wish I wasn't blind. But when Jesus came, instead of just being ambivalent like the rest of the beggars, he heard about Jesus, he had heard about his reputation, he began making such a scene that everybody else tried to calm him down. Everybody else tried to remove him, tell him to hush, get back, and he would not be settled down. He would not give in to his circumstance. Even when others tried to stop him, he cried all the louder. He was the antithesis of learned helplessness. I have a friend I was talking to recently. I'm going to keep it anonymous. But he was expressing to me a frustration he had in relationships. He was trying again and again and again to, to have some good relationships, friendships in his life, and he seemed to be struggling. And unfortunately, I was one of the people that let him down. And I felt really bad about that. I had no idea. I was that oblivious. And as he was expressing it to me, I was really moved in my heart to say, okay, I'm going to change that. and I really want to become close to you and become a good friend. But what I appreciate about this, this friend of mine is that even though he had been let down repeatedly over many years, he was still trying to make connection. He was not giving up on friendship. And that really spoke to my heart. That really inspired me. And I think about how often, when things don't go my way, how quickly I just give up. I just sit on the side of the road. And I just accept my circumstances. You know, my friend is a great example, like Bartimaeus, is someone who never stopped trying. No matter how much you experience failure in your life, the challenge is to always keep trying. Amen. To never just resign yourself to the, to the circumstance, but to continually try for more. Verse 49. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind, man, the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So Bartimaeus is shouting. This whole scene that he caused got Jesus' attention. So Jesus called him over and asked him what he wanted. And of course, Bartimaeus wanted to see. And without batting an eye, no pun intended, Jesus healed Bartimaeus. He gave him exactly what he wanted. Now, 
Back to my first point about how God's word can be trusted. I want you to notice that there's no discrepancy here that Bartimaeus was actually healed. It was a legitimate healing. It was done in public on a roadside somewhere between old Jericho and new Jericho. There were plenty of witnesses around. They saw it happen. This was a bona fide miracle. There's no record of people refuting it. And there were plenty of witnesses. And later on, when Mark wrote his gospel and someone read this story, they could have said, hey, I was there. That didn't happen. But that didn't happen because it did happen. If you followed all that. God's word can be trusted. What we read about in God's word, even the miraculous, did happen. Bartimaeus' sight was restored to his great pleasure. So as I said, Bartimaeus, his shouting got Jesus' attention. But his faith got him healed. And I want to talk about faith for just one minute. That's what the message is really about tonight. Faith. And there's two qualities in Bartimaeus' faith that I want to point out that maybe you don't see right away. The first one is that he threw his cloak aside. My wife and I, I think it was last year, we were in Vegas. I have some cousins that live there and we were visiting them. And we went down to Fremont Street. You ever been to Fremont Street in Las Vegas? You know, it's the old part of Vegas. They have that, that big roof over it and it's all computer graphics or whatever and there's usually people on the street and they're you know they're performers or whatever it's all kinds of stuff going on down there and we were down there and we got there kind of early and and as we got there one of the performers was just getting there too and I happened to just watch him set up his little performance and he was one of those guys that would walk on glass and drive nails into his nose and do stuff like that and uh, he was setting up his stuff he had a little stool and a box with all his stuff, hammers and whatever. And then he had some broken glass and he, he put it down. He got it all arranged. And then he took a, a coat and he put it in front of his little display. And he kind of circled it up to turn it into like a little basket. And that's where we, people would put money after seeing his little performance. Well, in Jesus' day, that's exactly what beggars would do. They would sit on the side of the road and they would take their cloak and they would lay it out in front of themselves. And as you would pilgrimage into Jerusalem, as you would be traveling on the road, you'd see the beggar and you might throw a coin or two into their cloak. Bartimaeus threw the cloak aside when he was called to go meet Jesus. Whatever money he had in there, whatever alms, however much or however little, it did not matter to Bartimaeus in that moment because he had an opportunity. And by the way, it was only an opportunity. He had not been promised any kind of healing, but he had an opportunity to meet Jesus. And his faith was such that the coins he had gathered for that day meant nothing to him. How often do we hold on to our little, our little coins, thinking that there's where we're going to find our salvation. How often do we hold on to the little things in our lives that we think are so important and they're going to keep us and they're going to save us when really what we need is Jesus and these really aren't the big issue. Bartimaeus threw the cloak for an opportunity to meet with Jesus. The second thing that jumps out at me about Bartimaeus is that it says that he, uh, how's it go there? It says he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've caught this, but he wasn't healed yet. And so a blind man jumping to his feet and running 
to a voice is pretty risky. It's a literal leap of faith. He ran before he was healed and he could have tripped. He could have run into something. He could have been hurt. It didn't matter. He jumped and ran when his opportunity came. Now that is the kind of faith that got Bartimaeus healed. So at different times in my life, I had thought about getting married. And then when I met Lynette, I jumped at the opportunity to get married. How many times, I wonder, has your crying out, your praying to God, got his attention, but your lack of leaping missed the opportunity? We so often talk about, oh yeah, you know, God's great, he's gonna do great things, and I wanna do great things for God, but it's so much harder to actually do the great things for God. It's easy to talk about, it's easy to pray about, it's easy to say we wanna do it, but when the time comes to leap, do you leap? Do you take your opportunity? Faith is much more than words. It requires action. There has to be a doing. My friend threw his hat in the ring a third time. Again, you know, after me missing it on a few occasions, he threw his hat in the ring again and said, hey, please, I'm looking for some good friendships. I appreciate that. Bartimaeus didn't settle for being blind sitting on the side of the road. When his opportunity came, he leapt. He threw his cloak aside. He jumped on it. Gio and I recently went and visited, uh, went to a seminar uh, at a, that a, a, a minister, local minister in Southern California was putting on. And he was talking about his church and how he grew his church. And he grew his church in, a, in an amazing way. I mean, they're in the, the over 10,000. And I was very interested in what it was that he did and how, how did he build his church in just a short amount of, in, you know, in, in the, the few years, whatever, a few decades that he's been leading that church. How did he grow it like that? Because it's in a tiny little town. It's not... It's not worldwide, it's not all over Southern California, it's a tiny little town. And he grew this little this church in this tiny little town to this massive size. So I wanted to go here. He does these little seminars, he talks about it. Really humble, really inspiring, we were blown away. We're gonna share more about it as the summer goes on because we really felt, feel like this guy discovered something that we need. He's got an element of faith that we need to borrow. But he, he called his little plan oikos. Oikos is the Greek word for household. And when you think of household in the Bible, you don't think of mother, father, kids. You think of the extended family and the servants and everyone else. And so his, his whole philosophy was that he taught the members of his church to be uh, leaders of their little households. In other words, they were to be the ministers to their little group of people that they influence in their life. And on average, every member, every person influences about 8 to 15 people at any given point in their life. Brothers, sister, parents, kids, neighbors, co-workers, whatever. But it's usually a group of about 8 to 15. And so what he taught them to do was not talk about it, but to actually invest. They pray and then they invest in those 8 to 15 people. And over the course of the years, those people started coming to church. 
And those people started getting, becoming members of the church and becoming believers. And then they taught those people to reach out to their 8 to 15. And it multiplied and multiplied to the point to where he's got a church of over 10,000 people in a town of maybe 100,000. But it was, it was acts of faith. And I want you to hear that statement. It was acts of faith. It wasn't just thoughts of faith. It was acts of faith. They actually took the time to think about who God put in their life. Who did God supernaturally put in your life and strategically place in your life? You sit down, you write them on a piece of paper. He was very adamant that you had to write it down. It's usually somewhere between 8 to 15. And then he said you pray for those people every day. And then you start investing in those people. And what does that look like? It looks like take them to lunch, go have a coffee, go help them move, whatever. But you invest. Then you start inviting them. And you keep inviting them until either God moves them out of your life or they come to church. That was the plan. And I thought, that is so simple. How did we miss that? I mean, I have an idea. I want to change the world. I want to, I want to help people. I want people to become Christians. But in my mind, it was such a big idea. I'm going to go change the world. And what he did is he made the world very small. He said, no, you and I aren't going to change the world, but we're going to change our world. And so when he defined the world as my household, the people that I influence on a regular basis, then it became manageable. And then people started to actually act on it. And that's what faith is about. It's not just believing, it's doing I look forward to the summer because we're going to talk a lot about this and really see if as a church, we can start to see ourselves not as a church of what is in here, 50 people, but if every one of us represents about 10 other people outside of this room, we're actually a church of 500 people. We just don't know it yet. And it's going to take faith, not just thinking, but doing. And that is what Bartimaeus represents to me. So, I'm reminded of John the Baptist's poor little cat. It said it wanted to be part of his church, but when it came down to it, it did not want to get baptized. Let's not be those kinds of people, but let's do, and let's say and do our faith. At this time, we're gonna stand. I'll close us out in a word of prayer and have some, enjoy some great fellowship. Father,